You're listening to Exploring Boys Education, a monthly podcast produced by the International Boys Schools Coalition, in which we examine current issues affecting boys, teachers of boys, and boys' schools. I am Bruce Collins. As the end of 2022 draws near, it strikes me that there is so much for which we can be grateful as a coalition. After more than two years without meeting in person, our regional conferences and the IBSC annual conference welcome members back face to face. That in itself is reason to celebrate. But moreover, the connectedness we were able to sustain despite lockdowns, travel restrictions and physical distancing is really laudable. In addition, boys' schools, their leaders, staff and educators remain dedicated to the education and development of boys worldwide. And as we know, never before has it been more important for boys' schools to prepare their students for the future. Tom Batty, IBSC's new Executive Director, reflected on the importance of boys' schools in his welcome address to the Coalition. The heart of all we do are the wonderful young men of our schools whose zest for life hunger to learn and desire to bring the best of their generation to serve their communities defines our purpose. By igniting their passions, honing their mastery and ensuring they feel part of something bigger than themselves, we establish habits that serve them to live interesting, purposeful lives in the service of a greater good. We know our schools have such expertise for boys. We know boys' schools provide choice for families. And we know young people develop at different rates. And the boys' schools are blessed with the freedom to act, always intentionally, for the best development for each boy and the open, equitable communities he will enrich and serve. It is important such message is heard and the benefits of boys' schools are clear and accessible to all our schools. We are only as strong as our connections with each other and our diversity is our strength. This is your coalition and your voice and that of the boys of your schools are crucial to our mission. To support your work with boys, IBSC released the Boys Schools Understand and Celebrate Boys brochure early in 2022. In a follow-up conversation with IBSC board trustee Byron Halsey, headmaster of Woodbury Forest School in the United States, he reflects on his experience of the power of boys' schools. One of the reasons why I love the all-boys world is because boys in our schools do everything. Uh, They have to. And uh, it has enriched the experiences of those who've participated in an activity that some might associate more with 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 girls than than with boys, and I think unfairly so and inappropriately so. It's really important to us uh, to 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 be a school that serves the whole boy, uh, not just the the sports boy or the arts boy or the academic boy, but the whole boy. And one of the things that I've really enjoyed about Woodbury, which is a 9-12 school, by the way, grades 9 through 12, is that boys come to Woodbury uh, often after their first eight years of school ready for a new chance and a new start. 
And what I love about Woodbury is that I see boys engage in a full range of activities. And so as an example, and I know all boys schools have these kinds of examples, we will see stellar athletes who are also really impressive musicians and artists. Um, We have a a school choir that uh, is over 10% of our student body, and they process into chapel every Monday night. And um, there's an a cappella group at Woodbury that's really impressive, and it's comprised of boys who are not only strong students, but also really, really strong athletes. And so what I found is that in the all-boys world, boys often feel liberated to uh, set down some of the masculine um, stereotypes that society places on us as, as men and adopt instead a fuller range of what it means to be fully themselves, uh, more completely themselves. And I feel like that's a great freedom and a real opportunity in a boys' school that might not exist in the co-ed world. Certainly, masculinity and our understanding thereof has become and remains an area of focus for IBSC schools. In 2022, Andrew Reiner, author of Better Boys, Better Men and friend of the IBSC, hosted two online events to highlight solutions to boys' perceived lack of emotional resiliency, something Reiner calls a silent epidemic. He also suggested a new toolkit with which boys can be equipped to live successful lives of impact. We, we are in a different time, a rapidly different time than we were. You know, we live in a very, very different age than even our fathers. You know, the toolkit that, that boys need today to really succeed amongst many things are self-awareness, um, collaboration skills, and greater empathy. Mm. And, you know, those are all things that um, empathy especially is something that we've been talking more about, but we don't really talk a lot about some of the other things that boys need, like collaboration skills that they need in school and the workplace. Mm. And another one that we really don't talk about at all that is really important is curiosity. Um, Boys really need to learn how to lead with curiosity and not judgment and not the need to always be right. And that is going to serve them both in the classroom and out of the classroom. Boys are very confused today. They really are. If you you get them to really open up honestly and talk, they're very confused. Boys are really falling behind girls. You know, girls are doing a fantastic job um, of lapping boys in the classroom. Um, you know, we see this uh, at all levels uh, before they reach university. We see this at university and we see this in the graduate school level. This isn't really a conversation that we've really have looked at closely. And we looked at what is getting in the way for boys and what are the ways that we can get help them move forward. One of the things that's really important to know is that this, this silent epidemic you know, existed before the pandemic. There were spiking rates of anxiety and depression among students of all gender identities. Um, And of course, for for, for some, it's even more so. Um, And one of the things is that, you know, as we still raise boys to to show this really kind of tough exterior and we tell boys, you know, to toughen up, we tell them to, you know, rub dirt, you know, rub a little dirt on their emotional wounds when they feel hurt or upset. That no longer serves these boys. You know, boys don't respond to that anymore. And research shows that it makes boys, you know, what they end up doing is suppressing their real emotions and they come out in far more negative ways. And I really do believe that it's really time for a change that we start from the inside out. 
And we help boys learn to develop this kind of inner grit or emotional resiliency that is going to make them um, far more successful, again, in the classroom and far more successful when they go out into the work world. Another friend of IBSC, Gordon Braxton, the author of Empowering Black Boys to Challenge Rape Culture, spoke to us, too, about the ways we can help boys understand more healthy expressions of masculinity. One of the biggest things that we can do is simply give them a space to think about these concepts. So often I get a chance, when I get chances to talk to um, youth audiences behind closed doors, you know, I might get 45 minutes, an hour or something like that. And it's it's just simply never enough time. <laughs> and, and quite often uh, educators will walk up to me afterwards and they'll talk about, you know, how surprised they were that how much interactivity it was, how, how involved all the students were in talking to me. Uh, sometimes they even talk about how a particular student that they never hear from had a lot to say, uh, who never raises his voice. And I don't think that this is because of any you know, unique skill on my part by any means. I, I think that boys just crave opportunities to think about this stuff and they don't generally have a constructive space to do it. Um, you know, they have concerns, they have fears, they have desires, and and they, they just need an opportunity to work through it and flesh out who they want to be for themselves rather than just consciously um, saying, okay, this is what a man is supposed to be. And, and, and that's, it, that's an unconscious act a lot of times. And I think there's there's a freedom in, in helping boys realize, oh, I may I may have a choice in this. I may have a say in this. I, I can talk back to the culture. And and that was very much my experience. You know, I, I was a sophomore in college before I can recall ever having a single intentional conversation about what society was telling me to do as a man. You know, that was the first time I really consciously reflected on the messages and thought about whether or not I agreed with them, uh, whether or not I wanted to push back, what, what of them, which of them represented me. Um, and the thing is like, I, I consider myself to be very fortunate. I was surrounded by many adults that cared about me. Um, but they just didn't see this as an essential part of my training. And I don't think that I'm alone in this. And I, I think a lot of boys have the same experience you know, I often share a story with um, students where I talk about how I was in a, in a coma when I was in high school. So I got I got really sick. And so naturally, I did what a lot of men would do, which was which was nothing. You know, I didn't I, did, I didn't ask for help. You know, and it wasn't that I was making a conscious decision to waste away. It's just that I was going through the motions of what I thought I needed to do as a man. And, you know, I, I nearly killed myself. And it's it's worth thinking about what are the ways in which we're harming ourselves and what are the ways in which we're harming uh, others. So circling back to your question, I, I'm particularly excited to have this conversation with your audience because what I love about the educational institutions that you represent is that so many of them kind of already taken on this mission, you know? And when I, when I read their mission statements, when I talk to their educators, um, I think they would describe what they're there to do is, is more than, you know, teach academics and reading, write, writing and arithmetic and prepare boys for college. I think they would see it as core to what they're supposed to do is raising boys into good men. So whereas some 
I think institutions may have a tougher time figuring out, well, how do we figure, well, how do we fit this into our already busy curriculum? Um, a lot of the schools that you represent kind of already organically understand that this is a part of that, what they're supposed to be doing on a daily basis and may have some goodwill and some capital to have these conversations in the, in, in the space of the school community. As many of you know, Gordon also serves as the Director of Men's Involvement for Campus Outreach Services with Katie Kessner. Recently, Katie Kessner and Gordon Braxton joined IBSC members for an online program highlighting how we best educate boys from ages 3 right the way through to 18 about the essentials of respectful relationships. Inextricably linked to boys' understanding of masculinity is the important topic of consent, about which Katie Kessner has devoted much of her working life to unpack and educate students and teachers about. Her insights in our episode on what every boy should know about consent are thought-provoking. You can talk about consent without being sexually active. Um, you can also think to me about the fact that if we educate our young men about healthy, respectful relationships, there is a very good chance that most all of them at some point will want to have a healthy, respectful relationship and an intimate one as well. So knowing how to go about navigating that you know, part of life successfully, when it's, when it's not just an opinion, there's a whole set of laws and policies that kind of govern what a healthy, respectful relationship is, because you're not allowed, for example, under the law to, in the United States, at least, I should say, and Australia, you know, Canada, the UK, you're not allowed to, you know, get angry and have a fight with your partner and then hit them in the face because you're angry. <laughs> so, that's assault. So what is a healthy respectful relationship? Well, you're not allowed to beat someone up, <laughs> even when you're mad, even, even when they make you mad, you can't do that. Or, you know, you, you can't belittle and harass someone and make them feel um, less than worthy. That's harassment. You know, that's, that's bullying. So there, and there are laws about stalking, another type of sexual misconduct or, you know, a not healthy relationship type of, you know, when you're so needy or depend, codependent, you might hear a word like that, or so obsessed um, with knowing the every move of your partner that you follow them on social media, you scope out who all their friends are, where they are at every, every given moment and have expectations about what they can and can't do in your relationship. That's also an unhealthy relationship, but it's also against the law to stalk someone. So to me, we can, the nexus of consent, healthy relationships and the law. And then we can also, you know, we can always talk about morals and values as well, but it's to me, you can, you can, you can add to the conversation, Bruce, by addressing it from various perspectives, right? I think the the ultimate goal is, you know, I said, have a partner someday, a, a successful, healthy relationship with a partner. But then if you have your own children, if our young men grow up and become fathers, how are they going to teach their own children about the same and role model it for them? You know, it, it kind of goes full circle to the parent who says, well, I want to do that at home. Well, is it? 
you know, aren't you going to be bolstered in your ability to do so if you've been taught how to learn it and how to teach it? In addition to their commitment to helping their boys be responsible sexual citizens, IBSC member schools worldwide are more committed than ever to building and promoting diverse learning communities that endorse each person's inherent value and dignity and sense of belonging. In my conversation with Dr. Derek Gay earlier in 2022, we explored the challenges schools face in sustaining diversity, equity and inclusion programs. Derek offered some valuable advice to teachers and school leaders about overcoming the resistance they might face as they do this important work. First, I would have some essential questions that I would offer um, leaders as they begin to deepen their engagement in this work. One is just even around the framing. Um, And I often, when I'm working with international schools and international organizations and businesses, I often ask, um, how does the word diversity actually resonate in your school? Um, Because often what I found is, particularly in international schools, um, outside of the United States, it's viewed as this U.S. imposition um, that doesn't necessarily resonate with an international community where international schools will will proudly share with me the number of languages that they speak or the number of nationalities that they have. And they will say this diversity thing isn't for us because we're an international community. So I think taking stock of actually how does the word diversity resonate? And if it doesn't resonate, perhaps choosing another word, perhaps thinking about um, inclusion, perhaps thinking about belonging, perhaps thinking about intercultural competency, this idea that folks from different backgrounds and nationalities and religions and the like will need to come together in a meaningful way around inclusion and belonging and around some of these things I know that all schools purport as being important around character, uh, around um, uh, citizenship and the like. The second um, question I would offer to leaders is to explore Um, as they ground this work, what are the shared values that all community members appreciate? And that this work has to be grounded in that. So if you ground this work in in anti-racism, is that something that's understood by the community? Is that something that's valued by the community? Another question would be, um, is is belonging um, valued in your school? Most people will say yes. So if I frame this around belonging, and I frame this around our community, and I frame this around our interconnectedness, and we realize that certain members of our community are not feeling included, that provides a different um, entry point uh, for, for this conversation. I think also it's important for schools to articulate the why. And often I find that leaders move forward with this with an assumption that everyone is on board, everyone understands how they benefit personally. So to, with your community, to articulate the why you're engaging in this work and how specifically this aligns with your mission would be important. And then I think the other piece is, um, as we think about change management, is that we need to expect that there's going to be resistance. There's always some form of resistance. And there's resistance because people care. Um, so then how do you address the resistance um, in a way that acknowledges and affirms people's right to question um, um, and right to disagree, but ultimately whether they are uh, agree with the final uh, direction of the school, that they have felt that they've had voice in the process 
And the school also has created an argument where this um, aligns explicitly with the mission of the school, I think would be super important. As we continue to consider the important role boys' schools play in the prospects of our students beyond school, we must be mindful of boys' well-being. I know this is front of mind for many of our schools, but a member school from Canada, Upper Canada College, has a set of intentional programs to enhance boys' well-being. Scott Cowie and Laurie Fraser shared their advice with us from their experience. Our approach is one approach, and in our approach, we, we've tried to be very intentional about um, uh, aligning it, as I identified earlier, you know, with our strategy, with our mission statement. Um, so, you know, as, as far as, um, uh, you know, perhaps some insights, I, I would say that would be one of them, just just that as a school, when you are considering how you might approach well-being, and, and, and we use that term approach very intentionally because we, we didn't want to, you know, sort of buy a program off the shelf and then try to fit it within our school culture. Um, certainly we have that, you know, we have aspects of our programming that involves outside providers and programming, um, uh, you know, from, from those organizations. But it, I really do think it needs to be something that is unique to, um, to, to each school's culture and whatnot. So, you know, that would be one insight. I, I think a few others, as I mentioned at the start, um, it really needs to be fully incorporated into um, strategic directions of, of the school. I mean, I think, um, uh, you know, and, and resourced accordingly, as I mentioned. Uh, so, you know, we were very fortunate, um, uh, you know, to have a leader and, and our principal um, uh, fully committed to, to the value of well-being uh, in our lives. And, um, and, and as such, you know, you, you see it sit prominently and I think it has to, um, uh, be, be that deeply rooted as part of your, um, uh, your, your, your school's, uh, strategy. Um, just other pieces, um, PD for employees we've, we've done. I mentioned, I mentioned the mental health first aid, um, uh, for all of our employees, uh, when we first launched, uh, I guess about, uh, three, four years ago now, uh, we also provided um, a full day of PD um, uh, for all of our employees. We had um, uh, Dr. Matthew White from uh, uh, from the University of Adelaide come in and lead uh, our employees uh, in in a full day session on well being, um, uh, which which was uh, you know invaluable. Um, measurement is key. We have we have surveyed um, uh, our students year six through year twelve. Uh, every year since we started, uh, you know, different surveys, and we're now landing on on one that we that we hope to use for sort of a longitudinal study study um, uh, with students. But um, you know, these these are all pieces. I, I, I'd say, you know, um, uh, as you're as you're mapping it out, um, uh, you know, really try to stick to evidence based and well researched findings as well. I mean, we you know we look to to experts in the field like. Like Martin Seligman and, and his theory of, of positive psychology, and you know Carol Dweck and growth mindset. So, so look to those experts. Um, uh, you know, develop great teams. Uh, work with other schools, and you know, as Lori, you know, said earlier, um, uh, stick with it because there there are a lot of competing priorities. But um, but we know how critical uh, this one is, and, and and how fundamental it really needs to be to uh, to the student experience at, at any school. Well, I just wanted to add to the great points that Scott was making that the school has done that is intentional is timetable it. You know, how you how your student walks through the day 
will declare, you know, makes yeah, that if it's not in your timetable, if there isn't space made for this to happen, then it, it, it won't just necessarily occur, right? So that intentionality is put it in your day-to-day time. And the other thing that the school did really well, I think, is along the PD line is take care of the employee well-being. And, you know, I, just an interesting thing we did at the end of last year, coming off a really tough year, Toronto was in, in lockdown and the kids were remote virtual learning for almost the entire year last year. And there was a lot of grief and we knew that. And the school gave, um, you know, a session around grief therapy to all the year 12s because they were grieving the end of what should have been a whole bunch of rituals and rites of passage. And then to our grade sevens, because that's an end of time for them before they come to the upper school. And then they extended that same space and, and um, it wasn't really professional development, but it was professional gift of, of uh, shared grief. What was, what has this year been for, for teachers, for people working in education in any capacity and those kinds of um, experiences and offerings from the school just, you know, then resonate into a, a healthier community and culture so those are th- those are really important too ibsc members from harrow school in the uk charles bailey and hannah fox also highlighted the importance of preparing boys for the future as they spoke with us about their redesigned curriculum that prepares boys for a life of service learning leadership and fulfillment here charles shares the foundational philosophies of this new curriculum at harrow school I think our, one of our foundational philosophies on the academic side of, of school life at Harrow has always been uh, academic breadth. Um, we think it's important that the boys have complete academic choice. Um, and to that, to that extent, the, the um, programme we offer is, is quite liberal. Um, we have boys that might do two STEM subjects and a humanities subject and, and art or music, for example. So we really wanted to, to keep that. Um, but we, we did appreciate that we probably needed to ensure that the younger boys in the school needed more interdisciplinary opportunities, um, opportunities to move away from just focusing on different academic disciplines in silos. They're not just studying their history, their chemistry, their geography. They can see how these different subjects are linked. Um, and to a certain extent, that, you know, we are we are limited by what, it, what the expectations are for education in this country at the moment, where subjects are taught separately. Um, so, so that became a foundational philosophy, interdisciplinarity, along with this liberal uh, um, education. Um, and then we were keen to also ensure that boys, irrespective of the path that they chose through the school, the academic path, um, would leave the school with three key literacies. So social, cognitive and digital literacies. And, and these were uh, three literacies that were um, distilled from the curriculum review from our findings from that exercise we performed in the previous year. So that those are the, the key um, foundational philosophies, I think. Also focusing on future-proofing boys and empowering them to be good digital citizens, our 2022 Action Research Award winner, Corey Brown, from the Haverford School in the United States, shared her pedagogy-defining takeaways from her Action Research project. Corey's project explored using digital selfless portraits to foster cognitive empathy in eighth grade boys. What my students created, first of all, was really, it shouldn't have been surprising, but I found it amazing. Every single one of my boys created a portrait that, that told a unique and personal story. 
And they conveyed this depth of, of personality and character that you don't get just by looking at physical appearance. They, they as Polly said, they broke out of those traditional masculine modes of self, self-representation. I didn't have a single student photograph sports equipment, for example. Um, so it was, it really was, um, you know, impressive what they created. Then when the boys were reflecting on what they had created, the the vast majority of the boys reported that those selfless portraits better captured their background and culture as compared to a traditional selfie. But even more interestingly, and this is, I think, in my opinion, the most interesting um, finding, the boys spoke about how their selfless portraits connected to other people to other cultural groups and to other moments in time, both the past and the future. So the boys, not me, the boys found that the selfless portraits could do something that a selfie couldn't do. So basically what they were saying is that in in a selfie, your identity, who you are, is just you as an individual. While in a selfless portrait, the way they were defining their identity was relational. It it connected them to other people and other times and other places and other communities. So when we used these selfless portraits instead of selfies to do these online exchanges, the boys were already thinking relationally, not individually. They were already thinking about connections. And then what happened was also very interesting. They, they, um, the conversations that ensued when they were having these these discussions with their pen pals included a lot more questions. They included discussions of emotional experiences. The boys shared methods of of self expression. They. Um, revealed hopes and fears about the the future. A couple of them even addressed issues of equity with their their pen pals. And I hadn't seen any of this before. So the boys were really engaging in more meaningful dialogue and discovering deeper connections. So basically, um, when the boys were using these selfless portraits, the portraits without a self, they became selfless portraits where they were able to allow them to practice selflessness and and empathy. If you want more insights into what exactly a selfless selfie is, or you'd like more details of Corey's research project, access and read her superb reports and other action research reports in IBSC Member Center. Before we wrap up this best of the year, our exploring boys education best of moments of 2022, I'd like to end with two of the most exciting happenings, in my opinion, of the year. Firstly, in November 2022, we launched a standalone podcast called the IBSC Living History Podcast. If you haven't yet listened, head to our website and do so. In this new podcast, we have conversations with past IBSC board chairs and executive directors. We focus on how the coalition emerged and we highlight the struggles and successes of growing our association into the platform for learning and connection we enjoy today. More than a slice of history, the IBSC Living History podcast also shows that while so much has changed in boys' education, much remains the same. Our reflections illustrate the strength of our community and creates an interesting story for boys' schools to use in their communities. In our first episode, 
Rick Malvoin, known to many in the IBSC, uh, shares some sage advice for those working in IBSC member schools. All of us who have the have had the privilege of working in boys' schools know the the joy that can come from working with boys and trying to understand them. And they are not. I don't know. I won't get into a nature versus nurture conversation here, but or debate, but. But we, boys are different from girls. And when, when we work to understand that and embrace it and, and get the boys, then, then wonderful things happen. And I, so I think, I think the mission remains important and valid. And also, part of what IBSC has done for so many of us has been a place of not only learning, but of joy and joyful learning and collegial time. Uh, we've, uh, some of my closest friends in this profession came because we met through IBSC and we had a shared sense of mission and purpose. And so we did good work. We did purposeful work that continues in a way that I think is, is really exciting. And there's, it, we are not generic schools. There's something quite distinctive about a school that decides that it wants to be four boys. And when we remember that, uh, then, then good things happen. And certainly having the chance to be in Dallas this past June and just seeing the warmth and energy and spirit and drive of that group of men and women together was affirming that here some 30 years into the mission, the, the mission lives and, and will continue and needs to continue. I love that Rick mentions the IBSC annual conference hosted in 2022 by St. Mark's School of Texas. It was arguably the most exciting moment of the year to be back together face to face. Those in attendance relished the opportunity to be together as Miguel Dionis and Kerry Brennan reflect. Being in the IBSC annual conference in Dallas has been like a window open and a great fresh air at the end of this big storm. At this point, I do feel joyful, full of hope, knowledge, and new friends all, uh, all over the world. The ABC is something awesome, and David Ine and his son Martin taking it to another level with this amazing conference. They made us feel at home all the time with their staff, parents, students, and I can only say thank you so, so much. I think one of the most um, distinctive features of this organization always has been the sense of camaraderie and that we're in it together and we've never been tested by a situation in which we had to be more in it together in the last two years and it just underscores I think the value of this organization how, how happy I am to see old friends. And with that we wrap up an amazing year of learning and growing together. Thank you for all you do for the boys in your school. We look forward to connecting more in the new year, but until then, keep on championing boys' education.